Hi everyone, welcome to the Palmer Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Uh, welcome to the show. I am delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today. Uh, someone who's uh, not been on the show before, but I'm uh, really excited to uh, to have her here. Welcome, Kimberly Stover. Hi, James. Thanks for inviting me on. No, you're welcome. It's it's really great to have you have you on the show. Um, yeah, Kimberly does a lot of work around um, de- faith deconstruction and healing from religious trauma and does a lot of creative work around that. And so today um, we're just going to talk about, we're going to listen to Kimberly's story and, um, and in particular in light of what's happened in, in the last few weeks and months. Um, so yeah, Kimberly, just uh, tell us your story. Uh, Well, I grew up in a very small, humble little Baptist church. My grandfather was the pastor. Um, It was a a great experience for the most part. It was family and food and lots of laughter. It was my second home, basically. My family was there anytime the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Mm. Wednesday night. Um, my mom played the piano, my sister sang every Sunday. It was, it was part of my identity, my life growing up. Um, things were always very scary to me though. I was very sensitive to all of the existential seriousness of religion. You know, before we can tie our shoes, we learn about eternity in hell and we learn about um the rapture and the fear of being left behind while your family goes to heaven is Mm. is very scary and um for me being a sensitive person that really felt too heavy for me as a child to deal with and uh, I remember one time I was coming home from school, and I must have been six or seven, and nobody was home. And we lived out in the country, and it didn't make any sense to me about nobody was home because I wasn't old enough to be left alone yet. Mm. And, I mean, I started having my first panic attack when I was that old because I, I oh. thought that the rapture happened, and I thought I was left behind, and... Um, I had the idea of, well, I need to call my grandma because if the rapture happened, then she won't be home. She won't answer the phone. And if she does answer the phone, then I know that the rapture didn't happen and I'm not left behind. I didn't know her phone number. So I went to get the church bulletin out of my Bible and I called her and she answered the phone and It was total relief, you know, the rapture didn't happen, and people giggled about that. I remember my mom and my family giggled that I thought the rapture was happened, but it wasn't really funny to me. Mm. It was serious, you know. So those heavy topics were always um, troublesome to me, and it... It made me uh, scared to um, question things, or it made me even more 
sensitive to following Jesus and trying to figure it out and searching for truth and being more engaged into the scripture than maybe I would have been if I wasn't so sensitive to it. The problem was the more you study and the more you dig deep and the more you contemplate on it, you start to deconstruct because that's the experience. Things don't match up with the indoctrination. So here we are. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting as well. From Looking back from my own journey as well, I was, I was in a Methodist church, so it was a bit more, it wasn't what, we, what you call the evangelical or even conservative. Uh, we, had, we had women ministers, uh, ordained women in our church. Um, but even then, there was this kind of undercurrent of, if you don't believe in this, you're going to hell. Like, you know, and it's almost like this silent agreement of that everyone just kind of knows but doesn't talk about. Uh, and and for a child to to know that 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 that's terrifying, legitimately terrifying. It's like if I don't believe the right things, I'm I'm going to go to hell. If I commit the unforgivable sin, how do I know if I've done it? Like then I'm never going to be forgiven. You know, like there's some some the, some theologies argue that as well. Uh, it, it's actually quite traumatic and it's and there is a sense of like indoctrination it's like a like a cult you know in a sense to be honest yes i i really think that it is um a cult and it makes me sad because the people that raised me or my sunday school teachers or my grandfather even his intentions were good they were Mm. pure he wanted to um bring people to jesus christ and Somehow it got twisted by the leaders that took over the, you know, the the literature that was going to get out to the pastors and, you know, Moody Bible Institute, Bob Jones University. They seemed to veer off from uh, the gospel into a certain set of religious ideas that ended up to be toxic. And I don't think that that was the intent, which makes me sad, and which is the hardest part about people like you and I and other church survivors. We don't want to hurt them because we know that their intentions are good, but we can't stay silent either when we've lived these harmful experiences and we've talked to others and we've heard their harm harmful experiences that they've lived through and we don't have a choice but to talk about this so it puts us in an awkward position Mm. because now we're one of the people that we grew up learning about being on the outside so now like my whole life I learned about the democrats and the lgbtq and the the Catholics and the Muslims and, you know, the people that didn't belong. Yeah. Well, we, we know what our faith tradition said about those people. And now to be one of those people is a very difficult uh, concept to deal with. 
because now I am exactly what I was taught to fear. Yeah. So it's a terrible, it just puts us in a weird place. Yeah. And also you don't see how bad it is until you're on the outside. Oh, absolutely. Like I said this before, I was in, when I was in my last church, again, full of good people, loving, kind, generous people. Um, but I was, I was suffering passive-aggressive spiritual abuse, basically, um, from leadership. Because if I couldn't be myself there. I remember feeling physically bound up, not being able to be who I was. I had to pretend. Because I had to pretend, to, I had to speak the speak. I had to, because I knew, I knew Christianese, so I could just talk like everyone else talked, and then nobody would know what was really going on, but physically, I know it had an effect on me, I couldn't breathe, I was all tense and bound up whenever I went to church, um, and I only noticed this when I found another spiritual community where I could actually breathe and be myself, you see, you only yeah. notice it when you leave it behind, just how damaging and toxic it can be. And it took me a while to get to the place where I was ready to completely come out of my closets, and that just happened recently. Um, during the Black Lives Matter protests, when Trump held up the Bible outside of that church mm. in front of the White House after he tear-gassed peaceful protesters, um, that triggered me into so much anger. I mean, my veins lit on fire when I saw that. How dare you, is my thought process in that moment. How dare you hold up that Bible? Number one, you have no right to represent what you are trying to represent because you don't at all. And just the manipulation that goes into that, he's manipulating my community of origin into believing that he is on their side or on God's side when we've seen nothing for four years but evil after evil after evil. And I say evil, and I mean it. You know, mm-hmm. the things that he has done and the things that he has supported and said and, um, you know, the, div- the, the divisiveness that he's encouraged, it has nothing to do with Jesus. So after that... I was trying to keep my identity somewhat quiet. I had a personal Instagram and I had my professional Instagram. And I just got so furious that day. I said, you know, I'm done. I'm done having two different Instagrams, trying to, trying to, you know, keep things comfortable for people. Because mm. why should I, why should any of us keep ourselves secret anymore? when we aren't the ones that are causing harm, we're trying to liberate people. We're trying to lift the oppressed. We're trying to, um, you know, breathe healing into humanity. I'm not going to be ashamed of that anymore. And I realize it's a touchy subject because religious beliefs are so touchy. However, I think that in order for us to really... um, come together again, if that's ever possible, 
we need to stop being afraid of, of who we are because we have something so important to say. We see something so important that they don't see for whatever reason, but I'm not ashamed of it. And I feel that we were kind of brought up to be ashamed to think differently when the ways that we've seen things that were diff- like different from them are very important. Hmm. Yeah. And it's almost in, in a sense of, in those communi- in evangelical communities, it's, you don't think, you don't question. Not all. You're just told. And that's it. And the pastor is always right, the leadership are always right, just listen to them, do what they say, because they're speaking on God's behalf. Uh, and don't question anything, and don't think for yourself. Um, that's... And, it, and and nowadays it's done in a very passive-aggressive kind of way as well. Oh, and I feel like you're trained to um, silence people in your community that do ask questions. It, it's almost like you were trained to, you know, throw out verses like, well, don't lean on to your own understanding. It's little yeah. things like that. And it's, it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, this doesn't add up. Two plus two doesn't equal five. I don't care what kind of logic you're... It's very frustrating. So I hope that um, this time that we're going through right now, because I felt I felt a different energy during the protests that I've never felt before. I felt the collective anger before. Um, a lot of times in the last four years, I've felt that surge of collective yeah. anger Same. but I wasn't I wasn't aware of the connection of that to humanity as I was in the last few weeks it was always very like personal anger that I was feeling in the last few weeks I felt like a body of uh humans mad and angry and and it kind of changed the way that I think about spirituality because I feel like there is something going on. I feel like there is something, there's some kind of supernatural connection that we're yeah. all a part of. Yeah. Yeah, and like you, I I started to feel this a few years ago. Uh, and because I was going through the big, a lot of big shifts in my journey at the time Trump was elected. And that's when I really started to shift into kind of non-dualistic thinking and but also connecting more with myself, connecting in a deeper way to the divine, in a way that was outside of religion, um, or toxic religion anyway, um, organised religion. And I just sense that this that his election was like the last throw of the dice for evangelicalism and that whole system. It was like, we're so desperate, we will even vote this guy in. And nominate yeah. this guy because we're so desperate our, for our empire not to fall down, you know. And I, um, and as I've gone on my journey, and I, I said this elsewhere, that I, I got the beginning of growth for me was not when I chose to start growing. It was during that journey. I, I went to rock bottom. I had things had to get worse before they got better. So once I chose to change and grow, things got worse for a while, and then they started to get better. Uh, and I just, I'm beginning to sense this is what's happening 
culturally. And uh, it's certainly happening. It feels like what's happening in America. It feels like a little bit of it happening in the UK as well. Uh, that things are getting worse. Um, and we're kind of getting to, you know, everything's getting amplified. Everything's getting exposed. We're seeing the truth of everything and everyone. And that, that is the beginning of change. And those pro- when I saw the Black Lives Matter protests, I saw that energy, like you, I saw that energy of, oh, this is like, you know, there are a lot of people who have come to the end and like, this is enough is enough. This can't go on. And they're not going to just shut up and be silent. This is not going to go away. Um, it's going to keep moving. Um, and that's a good thing. You know, that's a... Because we need we need that we need we need we need that system to come to fall down you know we need to start over. And it was so moving to me to watch the protests from around the world, and because um, a lot of Americans right now we feel just very embarrassed and terrible because our country's been a part of so much so much harm mm. to um, you know even other people in in the world. And to see that kind of support throughout the world gave me hope because they know that, hey, we're not all a bunch of Trump supporters over here. We're, we're just not. And we're trying to fight this, too. And, we, you know, I'm, I don't want any more harm done. And I feel like everything that was taught to me about the end times, and I don't know if your faith tradition spoke about the end times at all, but... Mine was pretty obsessed with end times um, talk, you know, the signs of the end times, earthquakes and famines and plagues and, you know, all this terrible stuff is going to happen. And I looked at it as a doomsday um, scenario Mm. instead of a catalyst for change, which is, I think, what we're seeing right now. I feel like we are in some sort of an end times uh, situation in the world, and it was bound to happen because of technology. We're now all talking to one another. We're hearing each other's stories. We're hearing each other's um, history. We understand more than we did 50 years ago by far. So it was bound to happen where all this truth starts getting exposed, and now we have to wrestle with it. Now we got to figure it out. But I feel like if we can just get through this, I really do feel that there will be a better earth that we can create together. It's just right now, this is some serious stuff that we're going through, growing pains or what have you. Yeah, I understand that. I do. And I feel feel like that too. I think it's been, yeah, I think there's a... There's a sense of the truth is finally coming out of a lot of things. Um, a lot of things now, a lot of things in the past. You know, one of the things that's happening in this country, example, in the UK, for example, is Churchill. Winston Churchill, who was, you know, the guy that won the war, you know, the guy that held off the Nazis and, you know, and kind of I'm, you know, when we were growing up, we were told he was this hero and this great British person. And now we're finding out. Now suddenly it's coming out that no, he was a racist. He he um, he put people in concentration camps in Africa, in the British colonies. 
you know, he's he's no better. You know, I mean, he's he's not he's not who we thought he was. You know, that a lot of the truth of this is coming out, and um, you know, statues of slave owners are being taken down, and all that. You know, people are rising up here too because, um, and we've got we've got a prime minister who's as bad as Donald Trump, honestly. Um, and we, we feel completely embarrassed by him. Um, so, kind of resonate with that <laughs> a lot. Well, it's um, interesting that it's happening at the same time. Yeah. Your Prime Minister and Trump, right now, at this time, it's almost funny if it wasn't so tragic. Yeah. You know, because it's it's almost like a movie. You can't write this kind of stuff. No. No. Well, the problem is we don't have a general election for four years. We just voted. They just, well, I didn't. They did. They just voted him back in. Um, fortunately, we have, we have ways of removing a prime minister before the ter- before an election. It's not like in America where you can, you know, where it's very difficult to get rid of a president. We can actually change it. But, and I hope we do. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 just um, it's a nightmare, you know. And you know, we've got the worst the worst death rate and the worst percentage of COVID cases in the world per million people, I think, uh, which is just a scandal, not acceptable. Uh, no. And the government says it's doing a good job. No, it's not. Same <laughs> um, thing is happening in the United States. It feels just. The gaslighting is insanity because you look at the numbers and they're not great. They're they're not in a lot of states. They're worse than they were three months ago, but yet we've got an opinion, an op-ed written by Mike Pence that says we're doing great. It's it's very bizarre, and it goes to show that we all need to be very careful about who we're listening to, right now, yeah. who we're following. Um. It's a scary time, and I, I hope that people that are sitting secretly in the pews or they're feeling ashamed of whatever closet that they're in, I hope they can find the confidence that right now is, is the time that you can, um, we got to come out of our closets because we are the world changers. We are the ones that are supposed to to rise up in self-love and love for others. And we can't do that if, if we're still allowing them to shove us into closets. That's right. That's right. Um, and I scary, and not everybody has the uh, safety to come out of the closets. Not everybody has the opportunity. Some people are still living, you know, under the roofs of their parents who you know, we'll kick them out if they come out of their closets, and that's unfortunate. But for the, for those of us that can safely, I feel like it's our responsibility to do that mm-hmm. and start living our truth. And because what are, why, why are we ashamed? We don't have anything to be ashamed of. I mean, we do. Of course, everybody does. And then you forgive yourself and you move on. But in the grander scheme of things, we do have every valid reason to say the things that we're saying. And, and it's important to listen to us because we want to bring healing to people. We're not trying to bring harm. 
Yeah. So. You're talking about those of us who are kind of deconstructing and who those of us who are who are seeing things with with, their, with both eyes, you know, and right. seeing things for what they are. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, one thing, I mean, I already kind of knew this already, but it became even more clear recently in the last few months is, is how this kind of evangelicalism was actually kind of built around white supremacy and um, imperialism and white privilege and all of that and and oppression and that it's all part of the same thing that uh you know and then you, you know when you see people when you see bethel going over to where george floyd was murdered and just playing worship songs and you know it, it's just that kind of it's just you see it's all part of that that system and it's all got to come down you know that we have and as white we're both white people so we have We've been we've been we've been part of that system unknowingly. We've been kind of as white people we've 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 got white privilege and we have to unlearn our white privilege and become anti racists and do the work of um, learning about systemic racism and helping to change that. Um, and we're not the experts. And for me, that's as part of much of. That's as much a part of deconstruction as anything else. I think you can't have a proper deconstruction without dealing with that kind of work. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And I started to do that work um, a couple of years ago when Layla F. Saad wrote Me and White Supremacy. Mm. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, I haven't read it yet. I'm, I've got a lot of books that I'm working through right now. I think that's one of them. Um, so I'm getting to that one. I didn't, um, I didn't realize I, I've never been a racist person per se. I've always been very upset about it. Um, learning things in church about the curse of ham and that black people shouldn't marry white people because of the difference in cultures. I always pressed against that and was very upset about it as a kid, but even I had racist, tendencies to unlearn in myself just like probably we all do because we're not aware of uh of really what we're a part of that's right yeah so it is all the same thing and it's 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 very sad i didn't even know about liberation theology until very recently i didn't i never learned about that I never learned that Jesus was brown-skinned. I really thought that all the Bible characters were white. I, you know, that that's the kind of, that's what I learned. Yeah. Nobody taught me any different. And so that's, that's a system that needs to be torn down. You know, if you're yeah. going to teach the Bible, teach the truth, and these characters, they were brown-skinned. And it matters. It matters because it doesn't elevate white people the way that having a white Jesus elevates white people. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've always, I've, I, uh, I think, I know, I don't think I've believed that thing about Jesus being white for a long time, though. I mean, I, you know, Jesus was Jewish. He was not white, Caucasian, 
European, <laughs> yeah, American, um, and uh, but but yeah, I mean, literally, we've all been part of that. We've all been part of that system because because we're just, because there's things that we just don't see. Like we don't have to like in like if I lived in America or up in America, I wouldn't have to fear about being arrested by police by going out. Black people, black people do. And that's just a daily occurrence for them. Like, and we don't get, we don't get that, we don't see that because we're white. So, it's so important. I've been trying to do this on this podcast as well to center black voices and to listen to their stories and to learn from them, because we're not the experts on this. We don't, we don't have the answers no. on this. Um, we have to be learners, um, and it's a lifelong thing, you know. Uh, yeah, and it's important as part of part of that journey. I think because then we can get to the heart of Jesus rather than the kind of thing that's been built around him and the systems that have been right. built around him. Um, because when you go to the heart of who Jesus is, it's very different from the product that evangelicalism um, and institutional religion has probably sold to us. Well, and I, I, I hope that evangelicals can start to look at um, how they've supported this racist view, especially since Trump's been elected. I didn't see a whole lot of evangelicals, if any, stand up for Colin Kaepernick when he was taking a knee during the national anthem. That was such a, a disgrace to white evangelicals and conservative Christians, which is bizarre because... In my uh, experience reading the Gospels and getting to know who Jesus Christ was, I don't think Jesus would care a thing about the National Anthem or the Pledge of Allegiance or any of that. I don't even think that he would personally say the Pledge of Allegiance or uh, celebrate the national anthem. I just don't because he's he loved the world. He died for the world. I feel like he transcends borders, flags, nationalism, all of that stuff. Mm. So to to see the white evangelical response to Trump's um, egging on racism by putting down Colin Kaepernick for trying to raise awareness to police brutality. And remember, Trump went on and on and on about this for a good year. It was one of his main focal points, you know. He was to get the NFL to make a policy about, them, you know, making black football players stand. That was a big deal to Donald Trump. And the white evangelicals just let it happen. They didn't address it. So that... That really showed me that they they're not aware of the of the racism they're being a part of. They're just not aware of it, or they don't care. So, I feel like these protests are pretty amazing in the fact that um, the people are done with allowing them to get away with their racism. It's just we're not going to stand for it anymore. You're seeing families break up over this. You're seeing, you know, Generation Z freak out at their grandparents. I mean, you're seeing a lot of courageous 
yeah. movements going on. Yeah. It's really interesting that you when you said that about families breaking up. But I was just I was just reminded of Jesus' words, you know. Um that a man's enemies will be members of his own family. Yeah. You know? He, he said that. Um I've not come to bring peace but a sword. You know, don't talk about that too much, but when you get to the root of who Jesus is and love and inclusion and compassion and equality, you're like, racism does not belong in the shalom of God. It just doesn't belong there at all. Um, no. You know, it's, it is not, it's not, it's not loving, compassionate or inclusive uh, or equal. Racism is not any of those things. And, and, you know, we should we should be listening. I mean, it's ironic that we should be listening to Jesus right now when we're talking about like deconstructing evangelicalism, leaving this oppressive system, which has had kind of Jesus tried to, tried to market Jesus as its heart. Well, actually, we're kind of looking at the real Jesus and saying, Jesus said, like, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I, he came and turned tables over at the temple when they were basically the church was being consumerist, like it is now. Yeah, um, and he was. It was. It was violent. It was angry. Yeah, you know, uh, it was. There was grief in there. You know what was being lost. Um, and and yeah, he okay. also recommended that we, uh, if if they don't hear what we're saying, then to shake the dust off our feet and walk away. And that was their way of saying all right, later, you know, screw you. You don't see what I'm saying. I'm going to go talk to other people that can hear me. So I think for a lot of us with our families, there's a time for war and a time for peace. And I keep going back to that scripture too in Ecclesiastes because right now we're not going to be able to mend things right now because there's it's just such a heavy time. It's not the time for mending. It's the time for truth, exposure, standing up for what's right, being courageous. And um, it's hard. I know it's hard for people. People are hurting because of their relationships with their families. I do feel that there will be a time that we can mend these broken relationships. Right now is not that, it's not that time. No, it's not. <laughs> How how are we expected to do that right now? It's it's just there's so much to be angry at, and there's so much to to dissect and blow up and shout, you know. Yeah, we're going through a collective grieving and a collective trauma in so mm-hmm. many ways. I mean, the, the, even the, the pandemic on its own was was having that effect on people. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and you know what's happened. What happened with George Floyd and black and the protests and um, and the kind of unraveling of systemic racism and exposure of it is has amplified it even more. And people are carrying around a lot of a lot of stuff right now. And yeah, it's not going to be a time where we can make peace and be nice. To be honest, it's, no. it's different. You, it's difficult to do that right now. It's difficult to do that because we're all in the midst of a collective trauma. 
And when you're in the midst of trauma, you can't. It's you. It's not a. It's not a healthy time to, to do that because you're so caught up with everything that's going on, and it's weighing on you. Um, yeah. Well, I feel like for for you know hundreds of years, the United States of America has just been continuously sweeping things under the rug, not dealing with it being passive aggressive about it and now the rug is flipped over and it's like look at all this stuff we have to sift through and we have to process and we have to figure out a way to heal it and it's a lot it's a lot of stuff for everyone yeah yeah and the world too and not just the united states but the united states i feel is and this is American supremacy, whatever, but, I, you know, you, you feel like things are centered around the United States when really that's just not true. Um, but if we are going to be looked at as a city on the hill, which is what everyone always wants America to be, which it's not, but if we are going to be that, then we need to start healing our own country. And our own country is hurting. And it's got a lot of systemic problems that mm. we're not rising here collectively. And so how, how can we be united if only a certain amount of people are rising and, and we're letting others starve or, you know, we're not dealing with mental health issues here. We're, you know, we're not helping people. Yeah, one of the things I've learned as I've been planning the book that I'm working on, which is kind of about deconstruction, is that deconstruction is a life process. It's a human process. It's not just about religion. Um, it's not just about faith. It involves everything. It, it's grief. It's, it's mental health. It's racism. It's patriarchy. It's, uh, it's all of those things. It's just being human. We've got to, we've got to deconstruct what 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 we've been told it meant to be human, and kind of unlearn that and start over. Uh, and that is a, again, it's a lifelong process. Uh, there's there's no happy ever after. It's just keep doing the work. Yeah, keep doing the work, and it'll take hundreds of years before we're, we're going to see the progress we would love to see. But you got to take the small victories, you know. Monday with the Supreme Court ruling protecting LGBTQ from workplace discrimination—that was a victory that we need to celebrate. And those small victories help sustain us to keep going, to keep fighting, to keep to keep voting, you know. And I'm I'm thankful that that happened on Monday. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, we had something here, um, a black footballer um, who um, launched this online campaign to ensure that, that, that poor children in poverty got free school meals over the summer because the government stopped it, basically. The, the, the poorest children were not going to get free school meals, and that's, sometimes that's their only school meal. That's the only meal yeah, of the day. That's the only meal. Right? So this footballer, that footballer comes out, uh, Marcus Rashford is his name, and writes a letter to the government, gets loads of people to campaign for for him, gets loads of the members of the public 
to message their members of parliament about it, and it gets overturned. I mean, it's incredible, really. And now these children are going to get their meals over the summer because of that. And again, that's like one of, yeah, and it's one of those victories, those small victories that you have to celebrate because, yeah. uh, and it, and also it goes to show that we can actually change things if we really want to. That we can, you know, make a difference if we really choose to get involved and choose to be active and choose to do the work. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is really it's really interesting because we haven't really talked about much of the work that you do, but I think it's I think what we've talked about it kind of is also a lot of, lot to do with the work that you do because you talk about reflection and recovery and rising from from you know, from toxic religion uh, and this is part of that process yeah um it's a lot has changed for me in the last couple months regarding the work that i've been doing and um i i feel that everyone's going to have to decide am i going to deconstruct all of these indoctrination, you know, these ideas that have been indoctrinated inside of me. Am I going to do the work? Am I going to deconstruct or am I not? And if you choose to do the work, it's not easy. It's, it takes courage. It takes a willing heart. It takes being humble. It takes being able, it takes being able to look at your family in the face and say I don't believe in any of this or this is so wrong and it's it's very difficult and um, I just want to encourage people to reach out and get support and don't deconstruct alone and there's there's so much information about deconstructing religion and deconstructing white supremacy and deconstructing everything any anything that we need to deconstruct there are resources out there and there are people out there willing to help and it's important and um there is a time when you will recover from from the hardship of it we don't have to live terrible lives while we deconstruct. We can enjoy our lives while we deconstruct. We can, uh, you know, no one said we have to be miserable through it. That's right. I think it's important to find those moments of joy. And I heard Rob Bell talk about joy last year. He said, lower the bar for joy. Look for joy wherever you can find it, in the small things. Every little place you can find joy, celebrate it and rejoice in it. And Because it is there if you look for it. And we need that to keep going. We need that to sustain us. And also because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what could happen to you or in the world. You never know. So, so just look for joy wherever you can find it. And it is okay to have joy and it is okay to laugh and smile sometimes because we need that to be healthy. We need to take care of ourselves so that we can do the work. Well, and the interesting part is the more that you deconstruct and the more that you rid yourself of these toxic internal structures that are inside of you, 
you get healthier. You start rising. You start taking care of yourself. You start having those moments where you're joyful and happy and excited about life because those toxic elements that have drug you down your whole life, slowly they fade away. And the more they fade away, the, the, the better able you are to um, live healthily. So it's a scary process, but it's also very rewarding too because you honestly become a new person, a better version of you. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And the more true, the truest version of you. Yes. Yeah. This has been a really great conversation. I really enjoyed this. Um, Yeah, me too. um, um, So, I guess, what is, just to finish, like, what's the, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned that you want other people to learn? I guess for me, um, the biggest lesson I've learned is to accept my role in, in this, uh, chaotic time right now in human history. My role is to point out the toxicity and it's always been that way since I was little. I've always pointed it out. And I used to fight it because I didn't want to hurt people's feelings or I didn't want to hurt, you know, my family's feelings that were still evangelical Christians. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be cast out. And I, you know, I fought being that kind of person, but that's the biggest lesson. I am supposed to be exactly who I am and the the moment you can accept that about yourself, there's so much freedom in that, not only for you, but it also inspires others to accept that about themselves, which we need that right now. We need as many people as possible to accept that, hey, you see something because it's important. You see the toxic elements because it's important and you're supposed to, and you don't have to feel bad about it. You don't have to feel ashamed about it. You can rise up and be confidently who you were always meant to be. And that's, that's the lesson that I've, you know, needed to learn for years. <laughs> it's yeah. been very healing to learn that. Yeah. Because I don't need, I don't need to feel bad about myself anymore. Mm. You know? Yeah. And that's real freedom. Oh real yeah. Freedom. It's, it's, yeah. It's, uh, it's been huge. Yeah. So yeah. I hope that others can get to that point because that's that's very healing. It's a breath of fresh air for your life once you can just accept. There's no there's no going back. You can't unsee what you see. Yeah. You just can't. Absolutely, I agree completely. Um, so where can people connect with you on um, online? Um, daily I tweet, uh, my handle is real Kim Stover. Um, and I'm on, uh, I don't spend a whole lot of time on Facebook anymore just because I'm not really happy with Mark Zuckerberg and what he's 
all about. Um, yeah. I'm also on Instagram at Kimberly underscore Stover underscore writer. And you can find my website at KimberlyStover.com. Fantastic. Fantastic. Great. Go and check out Kimberly's work, honestly. It's really great. Um, thank you, Kimberly, for coming on the show. Really appreciate thank, it. Thank you, James. It's been great. Yes, it has. It absolutely has. Um, so thanks for listening, everybody. And take care.